Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right. So we're into a brand new series of messages called Battle of the Bands. This is kind of our summer series. And what we're doing is, for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking into different songs from different genre that are somewhat autobiographical. Uh, and we begin with this premise. Music, some of you never thought of this before, music was God's idea. Music was God's idea. He thought it up. The notion of it, the idea of it, all of the sound, it was all his idea, his invention, which is why music can transport us and transform us. Do you have a song that can transport you to a different time? Is there a song that comes on the radio and all of a sudden you just, you close your eyes, hopefully you're not driving, but you close your eyes and all of a sudden you're back to your teenage years. There's a song that reminds you of a certain summer, yeah? There's a song that takes you back and you can, you can, you can pause for a minute and if you shut your eyes, you're there. I mean, you can, you can see things and smell things and hear things and you experience, you re-experience what's in your past. A song can do that. This morning, I'm going to be sharing a song that is a little bit autobiographical for me and take you on a little journey into what it means to me and where it intersects with biblical truth. The song is by a somewhat obscure British band called Supertramp. And a couple, okay, two Supertramp fans out there. The rest of you are like, what? Okay, so uh, it may be a song you've heard on classic rock radio. It's called The Logical Song. And what we're going to do now is we're going to play you a video clip. We're not going to play the whole song, but we're just going to do like two verses and a chorus of the logical song with the lyrics on the screen so you can see where we're going and what we're talking about and then I'm gonna, we'll, I'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about uh, kind of what this means and where we're headed. With that, the logical song, take a look. Oh, playfully watching me 
It feels weird, doesn't it, to play that kind of music in church? It's just feel, anybody else like, oh, should this really be happening? I know, I know. It's, a little, it's weird for me too. But our church's PA system sounds good. Like, that's, that's like that sounds, it sounded really good. Um, so, yeah, um, the logical song. The, the, there are so many things embedded within that song that transport me back to my first year at seminary. I was 22. And I was very much in the middle of an identity crisis, very much in the middle of the question, please tell me who I am. And for starters, I was in Minnesota. That made it hard. Uh, I had grown up in Staten Island. I stayed home for college so I could work with my church's youth group. My church had a vibrant youth group, and I, I wanted to be a volunteer in that youth ministry. I knew that was something important to me, so I stayed home for college. And then, you know, I was on track to be an English teacher and then a journalist, and through a whole other story that, you know, another time, I just knew that wasn't the track for me. I knew I was supposed to go into ministry, but ministry to me didn't look like being the lead pastor of a church. Ministry to me didn't look like planting True North. Ministry to me meant I'm going to be a youth pastor. A youth pastor is somebody who works with teenagers and high school students and college students, and that was kind of my deal. I was intent on being and spending my life in youth ministry. Youth ministry, that's kind of where the action is. Uh, most people who come to faith do so before the age of 18. So I was, I was passionate about youth ministry. And I learned while I was in college that larger churches would sometimes hire somebody just to be their youth pastor. I didn't even know that was a thing back then. So I went and spoke to my pastor and said, how do I do this? And he said, well, you go to, you go to seminary. And that little church in Staten Island where I grew up, their denominational school was in western Minnesota. So my parents thought I was out of my mind. I was walking away from a career in journalism and going off to be a youth pastor, which was some, a phrase that my family had never even heard before. And I got, I, I, 22 years old, got to Minnesota. I should also mention, I was still in my heavy metal phase. My hair was long, I was full on, the mullet is coming back, I was, I was one of the, the originators, okay? Like I had long, when my hair grows out, it's long and curly, there's a picture of it out there somewhere, I'm sure. Long hair, ripped up jeans, you know, heavy metal t-shirts, and I, I, I dropped myself into western, rural farm country, western Minnesota. Have you ever been to Minnesota? Everybody out there is from Scandinavia, which means they're tall and athletic and have chiseled jawlines and they all look just really manly. And then I show up like, what up? <laughs> you know, and, and I was exposed to something that I've later heard referred to as Minnesota nice. Have you heard of Minnesota nice? Minnesota nice is, uh, it's the way that everyone there is nice to you on the surface. When you get there, it's all, oh, how are ya? Oh, good to see ya. Yeah, sure, you betcha. <laughs> and they're just happy to see you. Now, in New York, you know there are rules with strangers. You grew up in New York, you take the bus, you take the ferry, you commute a little bit, you, you operate in and around, you know, our area, the way, the way I grew up. Uh, you kind of just come to understand, like, there are rules when it comes to social interactions with strangers. You don't really make eye contact, right? 
You guys understand this. You don't make eye contact with strangers. It's one thing, you're on the bus, you're on the ferry, you're walking down the whatever. You make incidental eye contact, it's very appropriate to just go, you know, like that, give him one of these, give him a little smile, a little, you know, a nod, a what up, you know. But you don't, you don't stare. You don't, you don't look at somebody and not break eye contact. If you're on the subway and you're staring at somebody, if you're on the ferry anywhere in New York, you know, eventually you're going to hear, dude, what are you staring at? You know, someone's going to step up. Someone's going to get their back up and go knock it off. Stop staring at me. In Minnesota, they will just stare you down, man. They don't even think it's weird. So I still remember vividly, I'm, push, I'm in the grocery store, ripped up jeans, long hair, heavy metal t-shirt, you know, walking through the grocery store, like, and mothers are gathering their children close to them. <laughs> As I walk down the aisle, and I'm walking down the aisle, and people are like, like this, and I'm like, what? I'm, I'm, I'm like, do I have a booger on my shirt? Is my, is my zipper open? Am I, you know, am I trailing a piece of toilet paper behind me or something? Like, why, why is everybody, you ever seen somebody do that? That's awesome. Um, I was on a plane once, and a woman brought, had a trail of toilet paper, went all the way down the aisle. She got a round of applause. Anyway, I was, I was just so self-conscious, and, 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 I knew immediately I didn't fit in. Like, this is not where I belong. These are also not my people. I felt profoundly displaced. And I was in a totally new environment where everything was very conservative and very scholarly and very precise. And I felt like I just didn't fit in and I didn't know who I was. For a, for a hot minute there, and I learned, I picked something up. There is no better question to ask of God than, please tell me who I am. If you don't know who you are, and you'd be amazed at how many adults don't, if you don't know who you are, if you're not secure in your identity, asking God I know it sounds absurd, but please tell me who I am. That's one of the smartest things you can do. Here's why. This is from the book of Psalms, chapter 139. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Did you know that God sees the story of your life, that he saw it end to end? He knew every choice you would ever make. He saw every situation. You've never once surprised him. He knows you way, way better than you know yourself. So coming to God and saying, won't you please, please tell me what we've learned? I know it sounds absurd, but please tell me who I am. 
is actually a very wise thing to do because God sees your story end to end and God possesses something very rare and very precious. Something we might possess as well if we try to see things from God's point of view. God possesses redemptive perspective. Redemptive perspective. The idea that the difficult things you've been through can be redeemed for beauty. That God was looking at me, that God at this moment, at 22, had seen the span of my days and said, dude, I, I know exactly who you are because I saw you when you were a child. I saw you when you were a kid. I know what's behind you and I know what's ahead of you and you don't get it yet, but I, the Lord, have redemptive perspective. So I saw you as a kid struggling with your father, always wanting his approval and never getting it and living your whole life like you were not good enough, living your whole life like you were not enough and there is a wound in you and some pain in you that is still hemorrhaging at 22 that is going to become useful later in life. It hurts now and it's crushing you now, but it's gonna make, it's gonna make things better and easier for you later because you're gonna go into youth ministry. And I'm gonna tell you something, church. Having a difficult relationship with my father made me so much better able to relate to the kids in my youth ministry than if I had grown up in Leave It to Beaverland. Everyone with me? Yeah. And nobody grows up in Leave It to Beaverland. Once in a while I hear like, oh, we came from a dysfunctional family. There's no such thing as a functional family. <laughs> like just so you all know, every family has its dysfunction. Every set of parents is carrying down generational stuff from the generation before. Everybody has their stuff, yes? So God is going, I saw the length of your days. I saw them laid out like, a, like the pages of a book. I saw you, dude, and that difficulty, this, this thing that's, that's happening in your life and that, you, that is so marking you. I'm going to use it for my glory later. God trades us beauty for ashes. This is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. So I'm at seminary, I'm young, and I'm really naive, and I'm trying to figure it all out. And, and this, this verse, I'm listening to the Logical Song by Supertramp, a CD that I got from Columbia House. Anybody remember Columbia House? Yeah, yeah. How many of you still owe Columbia House money? Yeah, <laughs> a lot of you. You guys are young. Columbia House was this deal where, like, you, you'd send them a dollar and they'd send you, like, ten CDs, which back then was a king's ransom. Ten CDs was, like, the jackpot, you know, and then they'd just send you one every month and charge you $100 for it. Okay, so, <clears throat> but I got this, this, CD, and I had heard the song before, but now I'm listening, and I hear this verse, but then they send me away to teach me how to be sensible, logical, oh, responsible, practical, and they showed me a world where I could be so dependable, oh, clinical, 
intellectual, cynical. And I'm in this school, which was a wonderful school. It's just very different for me. And there's a ton of emphasis on good theology. And I learned some good theology and good scholarship there. A ton of emphasis on being very, very conservative, on being very, very upright, and fitting into a certain mold that I knew at a base level, even if I hadn't pronounced it to myself yet, that I would never fit into. Pressure to conform to a, to a mold and a way of thinking and a way of operating that I knew I was, I was never going to fit into that, but I was at a distinct disadvantage because I desperately wanted everybody's approval. I wanted my seminary professors to approve of me. I wanted my classmates to respect me. I wanted to be taken seriously in this. But I, so, so now I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this, this existential angst between who I am and who I think I'm supposed to be, and this next verse comes along. It says this, I said, watch what you say, or they'll be calling you a radical, a liberal, oh, fanatical criminal. Won't you sign up your name? We'd like to feel you're acceptable, respectable, oh, presentable, a vegetable. And I just, those words came home to me like scripture. I'm not saying Supertramp was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but, but those words, have you ever had a song that just spoke to you? Watch what you say, they'll be calling you a radical, a liberal, a fanatical, a criminal. Won't you sign up your name? We'd like to feel you're acceptable. We'd like to feel you're presentable. And I'm like, you're trying to turn me into a vegetable. That's not who I am. I'm not ever going to be respectable or presentable. That's, that's, I knew that at 22. And, and I felt this pressure that came home to me hard because I wanted everyone to approve of me. And that need for approval has marked me through my life. As we began this church, I still remember vividly, you know, I started my career as a youth pastor, and we had, you know, a pretty good youth ministry going for a while. That youth ministry actually grew up and became True North. And so when it started, we had lots of students, lots of high school students and college students, but we didn't know if any grown-ups would come. We didn't know if any adults would actually show up for the church that we started. I later learned that grown-ups are basically just overgrown teenagers, and so it wasn't really that big of a jump, but most of you are. But I wanted so badly for the mature Christians in our church to take me seriously. I wanted so badly for those who were, like the parents of the kids in my youth group. I wanted them to take me seriously as a preacher. I wanted them to take me seriously as a pastor. I wanted that approval that I had so craved my entire life. And my life has been marked by the struggle to jettison and kick to the curb my desire for the approval of people and focus entirely on my desire for the approval of my Heavenly Father. And that is a, a fight that many of you are locked in as well. Some of you are here today and you just want other people's approval. You never got the approval you needed from your mom or your dad and, and so, or, or someone else significant in your life. 
Maybe you were rejected. Maybe you were betrayed. Maybe you were abandoned. Maybe something happened in you that caused a wound long ago that is still hemorrhaging. You can look to God and say, please tell me who I am because he sees the pages of your life laid out like a book. He knows where you're headed and he has redemptive perspective. He can take the ashes and turn them into something beautiful if you let him, if you'll allow that, if you'll turn somehow from your need for the approval of people and focus yourself on your need for the approval of your heavenly Father. Approval, by the way, which is given. Your heavenly Father who loves you so much who sees, this is what, okay, really autobiographical, this is what I still struggle to believe sometimes. I preach it, but I struggle to believe it. That when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. You with me? That when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus superimposed onto me. He sees his son's perfect form superimposed onto me because I've done business with him and though I still struggle and though I still sin, I confess to him and he lifts my guilt up off of me and places it onto the shoulders of Jesus Christ and I go free of it. So I'm clean. So there is no disapproving look. There is no slow shake of the head. There is no sense of you're not good enough or you failed. So now, I don't have to operate for approval. I can operate from approval. Do you understand that subtle difference? It's huge. When you're operating for approval, your base mode is insecurity. You're just constantly trying to make others happy. You're a people pleaser. And if somebody's mad at you, oh, it just rattles your whole world. Am I in your kitchen yet, some of you? If somebody's mad at you, you're just, oh, you know, it rattles you. If somebody doesn't like you, if somebody doesn't approve of you, if you're not getting that, you know, you're, you're, and you're constantly a fixer, you're trying to just fix everything and, and make sure everybody's happy. If that's you, you're going to live your life struggling. You don't have to live like that. You don't need the approval of the people. Now, if everybody around you disapproves of you, you may have to do a little soul searching. <laughs> but generally, there's always a few people, come on, Hasn't it been true in your life that there's a few people in your life that are impossible to please? Haven't we found that to be true over the last couple of years? Yeah. You don't have to please the people around you. All you have to do is focus on your Heavenly Father who loves you like crazy, who has redemptive perspective, who absolutely can teach you who you are. So what was going on in me at 22 as I'm struggling for approval? There was a track where the be-all, end-all for me was scholarship and ordination. I wanted to have my master's degree. I wanted my master's in divinity. I wanted to be ordained. I wanted to be a pastor. I knew that was something I wanted. I wanted that approval. And I could follow that track but at the same time, in this year and in this season, something else was developing in me. A love for communication. 
I loved the youth ministry that I was doing, I, and my favorite part was when I got to teach, when I would get up and talk to a room in a large group or in a small group. Anytime I had a chance to put a lesson together to illustrate something, I would find that I could talk to a group of teenagers and they would actually go and listen. And I just thought, this is the greatest thing ever. And, I, and, and, and parallel tracks, there's this scholarly need for approval, get your credentials together and be taken seriously versus this track where I understood at an instinctual level, I feel most alive when I am being used by God. There is no feeling in the world like the feeling that comes when you're a part of something bigger. And I didn't have the words yet. This whole idea of an outward bound life, honor God, love others, serve all, live to be a blessing, like that outward bound, that language wasn't there yet. I was, that was still a long, long way off for me. I didn't have that perspective yet. But I understood at an emotional level, I feel most alive. I know that, that I'm achieving the purpose to which God created me when I'm being used by him to be a blessing in the lives of others. I couldn't pronounce it, but I knew it. And what I came to kind of get my head around was, when it comes to seminary, I'm going to cooperate and graduate, and I eventually finished my degree. I went to three different schools before I pulled it off, but I eventually did finish my degree. And do you know, since the day we started our church, how many people have asked to see my seminary diploma? <laughs> Goose egg, none. You know how many people have asked me, like, oh, where'd you go to school? Tell me about Nobody cares. And I probably cared about that way too much back in the day. What I came to understand eventually, that I didn't get at 22, was that if I had, if I had gone down that road, the road of being pressed into that mold, super conservative, scholarly and appropriate at all times. Most of you would not be able to relate to me as a pastor. And I understood eventually that it's the quirky stuff about me and the weird stuff about me and the rough edges and the parts where I fall short that somehow make me more relatable as a pastor. And that's the guy I want to be. So, so we're clear. The pastor thing, being a pastor, I love it. I love what I get to do. But pastors don't have a special line into heaven. Like, you know, like when you go to the airport, there's like the general thing, and then there's TSA pre, and then there's clear. Pastors don't get to go down the TSA pre line. You know, we're all in the same line with everybody. What that means is my sin is just as gross as yours is, and I'm just as in need of a Savior, and I just as much need God's grace and forgiveness as you do. What I've learned over the years is I'm not going to be defined by the approval of others. I'm going to say to the Lord, I know it sounds absurd, but even, even years into this, I know it sounds absurd, but please tell me who I am and keep telling me who I am because only when I am alive in you am I truly alive. And the same is true for you. Only when you are alive in him honoring God with your life and living that outward bound life and playing the part God gave you to play, only then are you truly and fully alive. And I want that for each and every one of you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to learn, to hear 
from the scriptures. Uh, Father, we're, we're all of us, um, all of us struggling. We all want the approval of others. We all, we all wrestle to find our identity. We all need you to tell us who we are. And so we're praying, Father, whisper to us of your great plan. Whisper to us of that redemptive perspective. Whisper to us of how you can take the darkest chapters of our life and flip them into something beautiful and useful and glorifying to you. Help us, Father, to define ourselves in, with, and through your lenses only and kick to the curb our need for the approval of others. May it be so in my life, may it be so in all of our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word truenorth to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.